0: Queeros Cameron here, huge news. Take my wife is on stars! What? Yes, if you have stars, you have access to the Stars app and you can watch Take My Wife seasons one and two on stars. We are really excited about this. Also, if you live in the UK or Australia, guess what? Take my wife is on iTunes. That's right. On iTunes in Canada, the US and the UK and Australia, and we are working very hard to push the folks who actually make the decisions about expanding those territories. So I'm hearing that you want to see the show and thank you for caring about it. And we're trying. Also, I want to let you know that I will be in New York for Vulture Fest on May 19th. Uh, You can get tickets through CameronEsposito.com. I hope it might already be sold out by the time you're listening to this. Also, I will be there on the 18th, for a show at the UCB Theater, and it will be at uh, the UCB Theater in L.A. on the 10th. All of those tickets you can find through my socials or on my website, and thank you so much for all of the support. Hey, oh, by the way, the one at Vulture Fest, that's a live query recording on May 19th, so that's really cool. All right, you listened to me be scattered. I'm standing in a closet with a drum kit because... (laughs) (laughs) because the podcast recording that I just did um, was amazing, and we went just a few minutes over, so now I'm in a drum kit closet. Today's guest, Roxanne Gay. Roxanne is a a terrific writer. She's a great person to follow on Twitter also. That's beside the point. But um, Roxanne's book, Bad Feminist, is was a huge hit and also something that I really loved. And I also love reading Roxanne's work in the New York Times amongst other places. So please enjoy this conversation with the amazing Roxanne Gay. I've been feeling wrong, but i I know, I know, I know it's careless. Man, I'm on a whole vibe today. Have you, have you had a super busy day?
1: No, I, fl- I landed at two in the morning at LA. Good gravy. Yes. So I've been up for a while, but I this is my first thing of the day. So well, no, I had to meet with my trainer, so that's my second thing, but that was well, it was shitty, but
0: Well, thanks for starting your thanks for starting your day the right way. I'm very Absolutely. I'm a very positive
1: I can't person. think of a better person so to like, start my day with.
0: Definitely I'm gonna uh, be like a human coffee for you. That's okay, great. kind of just My natural state. All right. Um, You know what I do on this show is I have folks introduce themselves. So Mm -hmm. would you mind saying who
1: you are and introducing yourself? Yes. My name is Roxanne Gay. (laughs) There it is. There it is. Sometimes
0: (laughs) folks have like a, have a follow-up. I like that you, uh... That's
1: it. I mean, I'm a writer and a reader. And when I was in high school, people would write the "is" on my dorm room door between my first and last name. <laughs> Absolutely, little do they know. I mean, what a of course, of course. Why wouldn't that? Did it
0: happen prior to high school, or was it like no, just it I, just isolated? It did high not.
1: It's happened in high school, and then in college, I think people had matured a bit, and so it wasn't there as much. But because I don't have a middle name, and in my high school. Um, I went to boarding school and they have your names on the doors and so I think it was just a convenient opportunity. Oh, sure. Why wouldn't? I mean. What a what a, what a convenient opportunity. <laughs> Absolutely. So, good times. Good times.
0: Also, like high school is I don't know. I mean, I wonder if I wonder if young folks like use that as a put down now. That was such a in in yeah. my childhood and high school, like that was that really like meant something mm-hmm. and it was so finite and it like yeah, it was like... It was the it insult. Was, yeah. Oh, my it was God, that's so gay. Total slam. Uh, or, yeah, that's so gay, mm-hmm. like, rattled You're off so as You're so gay. A, yeah. Like, um... It could almost be like... It's not
1: the insult you think it is. <laughs> right, right.
0: Well, a lot of comics, a lot of stand-ups um, talk about, get like, hearing that when they were young people. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I more often hear that from, like, comics who then identify as straight now who mm-hmm. are like oh man people used to call me gay and that was terrible mm-hmm. and i feel like i'm always in the wings watching being like allow me to blow your mind what if they had called you gay and <laughs> you and you were,
2: and you were! <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow. well, can you even imagine what that would have been like oh what a non-stop party <laughs> yes it is a non-stop party absolutely yeah it's always funny like that insult when I was growing up, it was an insult. And I knew it was an insult. And my brothers and I hated our last name. And I would always tell everyone who would listen that when I get married, I can't wait. I'm getting rid of this last name, which is so funny. Like, it's just so funny. I knew so little about myself back then. Like, girl, no, you're not going to give up your last name. Right, 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 (laughs) right, right. What are you talking about? And now I embrace it. I love my last name. And it's also only three letters. Like, just... Logistically speaking, it also looks good on a book. I will say that it looks it's, very like a, good on it's like a it's like a good looking because mm-hmm. of all the the Rs have 10 are really strong letters in my whole name. It's so yeah. great. Cameron, well, actually, Cameron
0: Esposito looks less good on a book. Like it
1: just just it doesn't look
0: bad. No, it doesn't look it's bad. Like,
1: actually, it's pretty even because both Cameron and Esposito are about the same length. No, you're right. You're right. See? Yeah. No, yes. thank
0: you. Thank you, but I feel like that <laughs> that it's just like such a it's a strong visual message.
1: It is. It
0: and is. I mean, also, it turns out you're, like, a talented writer. So, I mean, that, I that's mean, also part of detailed, what's, like, working like, with the book. But, like, straight up,
1: honestly. I think how my name looks on the cover <laughs> is so much more important than driving anything things. going on inside the book. For, like, fuck reading, whatever. For
0: sure. I mean, that's that's true. That's And how do you identify? I don't know. I I'm actually bisexual. don't know this. Yeah, like, I think that's what I thought. That's what I, I mean, thought.
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm bisexual. I am. Men are okay. Well, I just can't stand men, which is funny, I guess. But, um, let's see. Yeah, no, when I was 19, I came out as gay and then had, it, which was fine. And then I had many years where I was just uh, strictly clitly. And then, um, I don't know. I I realized, oh, I'm probably bisexual somewhere in my late 20s. And now I'm still bisexual. But honestly, it would take an act of God for me to date a man ever again.
0: <laughs> well, we will talk about that. Don't worry. But I feel like the narrative, like the prevailing Narrative in society is that um, if there's any movement between those things, this is what we're this is what we are sold. This is not Mm -hmm. what our lives are like. uh, That that like bisexuality can be expanded into full on gay. Like when I I remember growing up, like that's what I was taught is like yeah, bisexuality is a stop on the road to gay. And for you to have that experience inverse, um, what was that like to change your identity in a way that we don't? Like, I don't hear that many stories yeah, that way. Yeah,
1: it was weird because I was very uncomfortable with the fact that I was attracted to men. And um, I also just thought, what a betrayal of everything I believe in to acknowledge this thing. And I, I had a hard time with it. And this was at a time when it wasn't where, – where there wasn't – like, pansexuality was not a thing that people discussed. And – I feel like sexuality and sexual identity was a lot more rigid than it is today. So I had a hard time with it, and for a long time I just didn't admit it. And then, you know, the older I get, the less I care what people think. And so the older I get, it's easier to just admit certain things um, and to be honest about who I am and what I want. And that has been very um, freeing. Congrats (laughs)
0: Congrats <laughs> Thanks. Congrats on that feeling. That's a yeah, positive it, feeling. It is a
1: good feeling. It is a good feeling. And it also turns out that it wasn't like nobody really cares. People just, you know, do what you want to do and be good to other humans. And in general, I think if you just move through the world, treating people as well as you can, it's okay to... To have shifts in who you are or what you want, and people will accept that,
0: right? I, I mean, I, I find that, and you kind of said this, and in, in in how you were describing it, like the person who, mi- arguably, is having the hardest time with that is is you, because like you said, you, um, oh, you just said the wording, but like felt like you got rid of all your ideals or like that it went against what you thought. What yeah. were those things that it felt like a challenge specifically? I think that just
1: accepting that I was attracted to men when men had treated me so horribly. Um, and like where I had all this trauma around men, I just thought like, what is wrong with me that I'm still attracted to men? And that really was a very hard thing. And even today, when you just look at the, the – Spectrum of bullshit involving men. It's just like, well, why does anyone ever sleep with a man? Ever, like, why would you? They're so bad, but they're not. There are a couple, like, there may be three good ones.
0: <laughs> I mean, can I also like? <laughs> we'll can I more. also can I also like throw something uh, throw something out? Which I mean, you you're a very smart person, perhaps. On Wednesdays, you have <laughs> thought about this, but um, I mean, there's also. Like maybe men don't actually get to control whether or not you're attracted to them. Like maybe there's almost a taking back of being like even this this place where – even this source of trauma for me, like I actually get to decide Mm -hmm. if that's something that's
1: appealing to me. I think the more comfortable I got with admitting – Bisexuality. the more I was able to recognize that it's not about them. It's about me owning my desires. It, but it took me a long time to get there and a lot of sort of wrestling with identity and things like that.
0: Yeah, because I think like oh, – right. I mean it's hard to figure out where to be <laughs> it is. on that evolution of um, – I'm not usually attracted to men. I'm pretty –
1: Reliably
0: gay gay. um but that doesn't mean like you know it doesn't mean it can't come up in like a dream sort of a Mm -hmm. situation or that also doesn't mean anything about the way i react to individual men Mm -hmm. um but that can also be like something that was cultured in me that i find popping out like if i'm being a pleaser in the moment and yeah. I just was like unprepared for myself to do that mm-hmm. or if I'm like if I actually am like into this person and maybe it's not fully sexual or maybe it is fully sexual or mm-hmm. like what is sexuality I guess that's that can be pretty expansive
1: it can it can so like I, I still <laughs> that's a quite a thread to pull <laughs> Yeah, yeah yeah
0: so I find myself like really surprised by myself all the time it, regardless of like how reliable my attractions are out in the world.
1: and <laughs> you're always keeping it interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, like just paying attention, right? You know, I think it is a lot of paying attention. And the one thing I found it is that oftentimes, more often than not, I'm really attracted to the person. And I don't care what the package is at all. And I actually like that about myself, that sort of ability to... I mean, there are things I find attractive about the human body, like, mm, <laughs> like there are lots of things I find attractive about the human body. Let's
0: list them. Yeah.
1: <laughs> thighs,
0: yeah, okay, thighs. Breasts, sure, yes, breasts.
1: Lips, yeah. Hands, arms. Asses. I mean, I just love a woman. It's almost with like nice you're size. creating
0: like a full body, as yes, you like, said. That. Like I like, I liked there. The, the,
1: yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I'm, the, I'm a thigh yeah. woman yeah. and a breast woman. I'm a, actually I'm a body woman. What can I say? I'm into the whole package. It's great, but, but you don't yeah. find
0: that there's like. Are you saying that there's not like a one physical type that works for you? Not really. I mean,
1: I I, <laughs> I think I mean. No, there isn't. Because when I look at my exes, it's just a a, a rainbow. It's like Skittles. <laughs> I, I have tasted the rainbow. Sure.
0: I mean, and I'm glad that you had a chance to taste. Really, I am. <laughs> I, I look at my exes and I also – something that happened for me, like uh, experiencing different bodies – when I started dating people, when I started dating women, mm-hmm. and when I started dating like folks on the folks that were non-binary or whatever, like in that spectrum of queerness, I was able to appreciate my own body mm-hmm. a lot better because I found that um, like I liked I liked different things about mm-hmm. people's bodies, and made me feel much better about myself, mm-hmm. which I also. I don't know. I mean I definitely do have types, but they're like emotional types. That's what I was gonna say. I have, say. Like, I have
1: types. type I have a type, but yeah. the type is it's not a physical type. It's more like personality. If you look at my exes you'll see a common thread of nonsense that I'm clearly drawn to. <laughs> nonsense? That's, the, that's what <laughs> yeah. it is. Sort of crazy, unhinged. And, yeah, okay. Uh, and, and I don't mean that in the misogynist way where men are like, she's crazy because she, like, dares to have standards. In general, I, I'm not this way anymore. But for a long time, I think I was attracted to, um, to women who are – very high maintenance. Did you have to do a lot of work? I had to do a lot of work. A little bit of a little bit of help.
0: Did they need some help from you? <laughs> yes. I I have a history. Look, early in my relationship with folks that early in my relationships, I was really attracted to folks that I had to do some. Some heavy work yes, to help out. It, it made me feel it, good about
1: myself. Exactly. And and I recognize now that I'm in like therapy and sort of delving through all the morass that is me. Um, like there's something I got out of it, this sort of savior thing. Like, oh, mm-hmm. this is a project.
0: Uh-huh. I'm yes.
1: going to help them. And that's going to make me an even better person. And... And actually just made me miserable because some people can't be helped or don't want to be helped. And that's actually not my job. My job is to love and be loved. And, you know, these people were breathtakingly selfish and not really reciprocating any of that because Lord knows I'm a project, too. Uh, it was yeah. just very one-sided. And um, I think there's a, there was safety in that one-sidedness where if I don't have to open up, where I just get to sort of – Fix and love and give and give and give. Then, um, you know, I'll I'll be good enough and I'll be loved and uh, that's all that's good enough for me. Uh, so that was my type, but it's not my type anymore. I mean, it though.
0: definitely it definitely takes the pressure off of you worrying about somebody loving you if they yeah. need you. Yes, you know, absolutely. like because then it's not the it's not a question of like whether you're worth. The love, it's in action that you're doing. So mm-hmm. it's like kind of outside of your, your – it's almost like controlling the uh, response based on action as opposed to like –
1: Absolutely. And it really its about birth. control and like trying to control like never being left. Absolutely. And, which actually never worked out ever.
0: So where – do you know where this comes from in your – I think I know where it comes from in me. I'm curious if you have made him a little – Yeah,
1: I'm pretty sure I know where it comes from. Yes, absolutely. I think it sort of a lot of my issues are all tied to the same issues. Like they're all – it's all part of the same thing, I think. I'm working on it.
0: Yeah. I mean I think for me, um, like
1: I was raised with a lot of
2: religion. Mm -hmm.
0: And then I also have a dad who's adopted. Mm -hmm. And I think that that – really affected like the way he parented me Mm -hmm. um i'm really close with my dad he's a good dad but there was definitely like always a he was adopted at a time when that was a really stigmatized thing like Mm -hmm. for his mom growing up catholic not being able to have a kid it's like but mary can have a kid and all catholic women are trying to be mary so (laughs) you are deficient Mm -hmm. um so i think like yeah, he, I think he probably needed to be helpful so that yeah. he could stick around. And I think then you're raised in that household. You're like, well, I'll be helpful. That's yeah. how people will care about me.
1: Absolutely. I, I think I, I mean I grew up with two parents who are very loving and wonderful parents, but it was also uh, a very um, intense uh, in terms of achievement and uh-huh. sort of like an A minus isn't good enough, and so on. And that put a lot of pressure on me to be the best. And I absolutely bring that into relationships where it's like, okay, I'm going to be the best possible partner possible. I'm never going to need anything. I'm just going to give, 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 give. And hopefully that will, you know, get me a gold star.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Everything's school forever. Absolutely. We're all being graded. Absolutely. There will be a report sent home.
1: (laughs) Yes. And so I'm always dreading the report card. And so I think I'm always just trying to, like, get that good report card.
0: I, I get that. Do you feel like, as it, somebody growing up with like that achievement focus, do you feel that you have achieved things?
1: Oh, like uh, where you are right now? Emotionally, no, but intellectually, of course. Like when I look at my CV, sometimes I'm just like, Jesus, Roxanne, slow down. Like, <laughs> take a day off. Uh, but I always feel like it's not enough. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons for that. And I do know the reasons for that. Um, and I think a lot of it is, you know, that we live in a world where when you're black and you achieve something, people say, oh, you're an affirmative action hire, or you, you did this because of affirmative action. And so you're always trying to overcompensate to prove, like, no, I'm actually this good. And so that sense of inadequacy that is imposed through racism is exhausting. And so I never allow myself to relax because I always think, well, I need to do 10 more things to prove that I belong in this room.
0: This week's episode of query is sponsored by Everly. Well, let's be real. Finding time to get a lab test is like straight up impossible. Not to mention figuring out how much it all costs and like what your results mean is very stressful. Now you can order tests when you want at EverlyWell.com. Everlywell is an at-home testing company that offers a variety of tests from food sensitivity to metabolism to an at-home STD test. Yes, that's right, Quiros. You can test for STDs from home, and that's why Cami Esposito stands behind this. Because I think we should stay healthy, stay tested. Each test is physician-reviewed, private, simple, and processed through a certified lab. You just collect your sample, send it back to Everly Well's certified lab partner, and you get your doctor-reviewed, easy-to-read results online in days. Everly Well is very convenient. No sitting in waiting rooms, no mystery bills. Just go to everlywell.com, use the promo code query to take 15% off your first order. That's everlywell.com, promo code query for 15% off your first order. Take control of your health today with Everlywell's at home health tests. Your tests, your time, your terms. What up, queeros? This episode of Query is sponsored by Tomboy X. You know, I love them, Tomboy X undies. Mm, we wear them in my family. They make kick-ass gender-neutral underwear for all people, all bodies, all sizes, all skin tones. Yes, that's right. Tomboy X just released Tomboy X Neutrals, nude underwear that is done the Tomboy X way. For instance, there's like a bunch of shades for nude like how there are a bunch of shades of skin in the real world. (laughs) They come in a diverse spectrum of shades and cuts You can get bralettes, bikinis, boy shorts, and boxer briefs all in sizes extra small to 4X. Also, the Tomboy X Neutrals are made from luxurious micromodal fabric. It's like super uh, squishy and comfy and light as air. I'm stoked that this company wants to sponsor Query because I like what they stand for. So I'm just going to say that. So head to TomboyX.com slash Query Neutral, order some of their new neutral options, and you can get fifteen percent off when you use the code query neutral. Again, that's fifteen percent off query neutral at tomboyx.com slash query neutral. And I mean I just like you would be so much more familiar with me with this than me, even though I, I have been watching like just things unfurl for you. Like with the response to something like Bad Feminist, which mm-hmm. was like just a hit. Like it just was a hit. You, it's an, inarguably a hit. Um, and I also know that you can't like parse out racism and, and say it didn't apply in this case. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if, did you like read reviews or were there responses to that book that were along those lines of like a no, this is an affirmative? I'm just curious.
1: No, I, it, it, those responses have never happened. Well, no, I won't say they've never happened in the book world. They happen in the book world every day, and I've dealt with that. But not in formal reviews or anything like that. Not at all. I did read the reviews. I read all the reviews, <laughs> and then I get in my feelings about it, and then sure. I walk it off. <laughs> sure. But no, it's more just like you see it a lot in the in the discourse around, especially you get it a lot from white male writers who who may not have achieved what they believe they deserve to achieve and, and things like that. And when you win awards, oftentimes there's a lot of sort of back channel chatter about that sort of thing. Uh, and I certainly dealt with it a lot in grad school and in the hiring process for my day jobs. And so it's just, it's something that you just carry with you and it's hard to let go and it becomes a chip on your shoulder mm-hmm. in many ways, even if it's no longer actively happening, even though it is. And then you sound like a paranoid freak.
0: No, I like, let me say, first of all. Oh, I, wait, but not, yeah, not, yeah, not yeah, here, yeah. just broadly. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, I know the thing that you're talking about from my job, um, mm-hmm. and I know that you also hear this more often than I do because I am a white person. Yeah. Um, but I. But I,
1: you're also a queer woman, a gay woman in a very m- heterosexual, male dominated industry, I, which I. Every time I look at my women friends who are stand up comics, I just wonder like how on earth do you do it without losing your mind. <laughs>
0: I mean I like same? Love stand-up, like it like same, returned, sentiment yeah. <laughs> returned. I see what the internet is like for you. Oh, no, it's I mean it's a treat. <laughs> you know, but what I one thing I appreciate about you is that you like let me see. You know, like you will sometimes like uh, quote tweet or just reply to somebody, you know, mm-hmm. that that reply and I will look back and see what they said to you because I I would like to know what your experience is so that I like can understand more where I fall in things. Um but I think yeah. I mean, what, what I've gotten my entire career is like boxed in on both sides. And, and maybe this feels like something you've experienced where it's like, there's somebody that's going to say to me, um, like, you just got that. You only got that because you are a gay woman. Mm-hmm. And then there's somebody else on this side being like, we can't give that to you because you're a gay woman. Uh-huh. And that those two are coming closer together like the trash compactor I was just in Star say, Wars. It's totally the trash
1: <laughs> compactor scene from Star Wars. Yeah. And it's so hard because it's like you're trying to prop things up to keep those walls from closing exactly. in. Exactly. It's a double-edged sword. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And That's why any marginalized person who succeeds in entertainment, regardless of which genre of entertainment it is, it's a small miracle Mm -hmm. to do it because you are facing so much pressure from so many sides. And then, of course, you also carry the burden of representation and having to do it the right way. And uh, so much responsibility is placed on the creative work of marginalized people and then people say i don't like the what you're saying there about my people as if everything we produce is meant to be universal to the experience of that marginalized group it's so desperately unfair i just i get very heated about it i've been thinking about it a lot lately
0: what has been bringing it extra to the surface Um, for you
1: most recently, it was actually because I went and saw Crazy Rich Asians.
0: I haven't seen it yet.
1: The movie, it's really it's, great. I know there it's was not like not a screening, a it's time. not out, but yeah. yeah. It's out in August, but they did a, a, I'm pretty sure a marketing screening, and they invited a lot of influencers, which was why I didn't recognize anybody. <laughs> <I'm> like, wow, <laughs> but your you're very influential, yeah. <laughs> wow, great job. But it was a wonderful movie, even though I know that there are, problems with the book. It's about very wealthy Asians who live in Singapore and it does not speak to the whole of the Asian experience, but there were a lot of comments after and this happened when the book came out as well saying, you know, this isn't, there's no diversity of Asians here and so on and so forth. And these are all legitimate, but the scrutiny is intense because it's the only one. Like this is, I think the first American movie with an all Asian cast and that's significant and I believe that should be celebrated and uh, that doesn't mean we go without critiquing it but we can't expect it to solve everything and to represent everyone. It's, it's literally a book and a movie about crazy rich Asians. It's a soap opera. They're telling you. Yeah. yeah they're telling like, you. There's the, the, it's the unsubtle. Yes. Yeah. It's not meant to be incisive social critique about the Asian American experience. It's a soap opera. That's what it is. And like, I love soapy things. It's, it's truly just fun and hilarious. And, Yes, we can talk about consumption and capitalism and all of these things, but also it's just fun to watch rich people doing weird <laughs> sure. rich people things for two hours and then, yeah. you know, moving on. And, the, you know, the social justice struggle will continue. So I've, I've been thinking about a lot of, and also Black Panther. It actually started with Black Panther because there was so much pressure on Ryan Kugler to, you know, make a movie that was very good. And that adequately represented blackness, and uh, he did. He actually exceeded everyone's expectations, and uh, which were already very high. But I just keep thinking about like, what must uh, what went, what was that pressure like? How did you how did he endure it? Like, wow, right? Just wow. I mean, to to start on the crazy rich A-
0: Asians. Portion of what what we we're just what you're just talking about. I think one thing that's always interesting to me when people call for something like that is like also thinking about the burden that that would be on like the filmmaker or the screenwriter to create a world where it made sense for a bunch of different types of folks to interact. Mm-hmm. And I think. Um, when we talk about like marginalized or underrepresented groups, and then like okay, so this is now every type of Asian. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm really curious as to what that movie is, where like there's just like different folks from Absolutely. different cultures, like, where like it parading back. Could they don't speak the same language, like and they, and probably wouldn't um, be uh, be a friend group. Mm-hmm. Like that's something that I really appreciate about a show like Insecure mm-hmm. is that it you know does such a good job of, like, rooting itself in, oh, no, I can logically see how all of these folks are friends with Mm -hmm. each other, and it works against what we were doing, not we, what Hollywood was doing about diversity before that, which is just, like, it's four white people plus one black friend. Yes. And, like, who, like, how did those people meet each other? Because it's never, it's never clear, like, (laughs) what this group of friends is and, like, why that black person knows zero other black people. Like mm-hmm. I'm very I would like to know more about their backstory. <laughs> yeah, like, how did this uh, yeah, come to be? You know,
1: did you guys go to Oberlin? Right. What's up? Exactly. <laughs> like
0: that's just that's the extent of their friend group and then they know those people's parents. Mm-hmm. You know, like um but that's just how how television has built and built up until now. So then we're shifting the lens. It turns out, like you're saying, a movie can like kind of just tell the story of that movie I think, and that group of people.
1: Yes, we will have truly achieved success in terms of representation. When marginalized creators are allowed to create niche products, totally—that's I mean, what's so amazing about *Insecure*. *Insecure* is very specific, and it was—it's specific in the way *Girls* was specific, and we need more of that. It that, that it's not this sort of universal, um, mainstream network appeal kinds of shows like *Blackish*, which I love and which I think is actually incredible and a lot more nuanced than people realize and fresh off the boat, which again has that universal appeal, but it's also specific. Uh, but you know, when we see more Issa Rays getting production deals and getting to really create niche products will be great. And when we see more people like Kevin Kwan, who wrote Crazy Rich Asians, getting these development deals to create like a very specific story that doesn't have to speak to everyone. Um, but when there's more than just one, like that's going to be true success, and I look forward to that day.
0: Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I really, I really do too. It, the honesty, honesty is always what's appealing to Absolutely. me in entertainment. And well, like the show that my wife and I made, take my wife, mm-hmm. the it has a ton of queer representation, but it has very few cisgendered gay men mm-hmm. in there. Thank God, because it just turns out in my life. Um, I certainly know and I'm friends with cisgendered mm-hmm. gay men, but, like, much more of my friend group is queer queer folks yeah, and queer absolutely. women and, like, trans folks. And so that's what it looks like on screen. Mm-hmm. But then if you and I are going in and talking to, like, some sort of uh, an exec or something, like, outside of the community and we're talking about uh, LGBT identity, identity, like, they're thinking of Absolutely, will and grace. Like they're thinking of they that are, person that's like literally not even in my show.
1: Oftentimes in entertainment, queer representation is cisgendered gay men, and, and white. once they're covered, they turn
0: out they are usually white.
1: white. <laughs> yes, um, which is why I loved. Um, oh my god, Noah's Ark! That I used to watch. That I show. loved Noah's yeah, it's Ark. a great show because it was so great to see black gay men on totally. television. And again, like we need more of these sort of specific. Things that people still find connections to. I found lots to connect to in Noah's Ark and I loved it. I did not feel the same amount of connection to looking. But I'm glad that Looking was on the air. And I I think it might is it still on the air? No, no. it went it went it went bye-bye. Oh, uh, that's too bad. I mean, I enjoyed it, but I didn't connect as much. But I was glad that it was there, but it can't be the only story that's being told, and that's why I like and take my wife that, you know, it's mostly queer women and non-binary people and that's also what a lot of my social circle looks like, which I, I think speaks to how we tend to have kind of uniform social circles for whatever reason. Uh, but I think that it's also a, a specific experience that's being allowed to be on the screen.
0: Yeah, fair enough. So what do you what you've like had a pretty huge couple of years in terms of like just different milestones, I would imagine. Yeah. what are you what are you wanting to do that you haven't had a chance to do yet? I don't mean to ask you this achievement focused question. No, that's okay. Put question. you in your head and what then send you to? off into your weekend. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Damn it. I have so much to do now. Um, I want to take some time off. Good. Which is not something I get to do. Oh,
0: I stand, I I stand honestly, with you. I'm, I'm
1: like I was with you. The other day, I was looking at my sort of schedule and I was talking to someone and he said, Oh, it looks like I'll be able to take some time off in 2021. And they looked at me like I was insane. And they were like, no, really. And I was like, no, 2021. And so 2021 is my year of hopefully doing nothing. But uh, I would like to write for television, which, uh, because I love TV. And I I feel like I have something to offer there. So I'm working on that. And I just, I love what I do. And I I just want to keep getting interesting ideas and opportunities and uh, I think I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing oddly enough which is it's rare that you be able to you're able to say that but I, I'm kind of doing everything I want to be doing and um, that's a nice feeling
0: yeah congrats thank you what about your your day job I want to talk a little bit about that mm.
1: no terrible mm-hmm. getaway <laughs> no I can talk about my day job <laughs>
0: What is your day job?
1: I teach at Purdue University. Yeah, I've been to Purdue.
0: Have you? Yeah, I have. (laughs) Because I'm I'm from Chicago originally. Oh, okay. So it's like
1: real close. Yeah, it's very close, which is a saving grace for West Lafayette. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so I teach at Purdue, though starting last academic year, I moved to teaching one class a year because I can't keep up a full teaching load where we teach a 2-2 load there.
0: I mean, thanks for telling me that because I have literally just been like, how,
1: this, how is yeah. this
0: happening?
1: I don't know how I managed it for as long as I did. My first job was a 3-3 where I was teaching three courses a semester and it was insane. And, and like, that's actually many, a good many teaching hours a load. How a week is that? Uh, you know, it depends. Like it's about 10 or 11 in-class hours and then 40 hours of prep. <laughs> and then you're lot.
0: like writing a book.
1: Yes, I did write it. That sounds a, extremely I wrote two challenging books in that time. <laughs> well, wow. yeah, it was challenging and at Purdue, I was teaching two courses a semester, which is a dream load for anyone uh, because so many people are now teaching four or five courses a semester, which is so untenable for so many people. Um, but it was still too much in addition to all the work and the travel and the writing and so I just told the university, You know, I love teaching and I would like to continue teaching, but I can't keep up this pace and be good at teaching, which is something that's important to me. And so starting last year, I got to teach one class a year, which allows me to be present for that class and um, teach it well and also be able to do other things. So it's nice. It's a nice balance. What do you teach? I teach creative writing, fiction and nonfiction, both graduate and undergraduate. It's a lot of fun.
0: Have you noticed a shift in how your
1: students treat you with your success? Because it's Purdue. (laughs) And what I mean by that is Purdue is a STEM school. Oh, my God. That's so – yeah, of course. Of
0: course that's true. Everybody that I know went there was like in robotics or whatever.
1: Yeah, I just didn't think about that. Yes. And so uh, at the graduate level, they do know who I am and uh, because we have an MFA program and I teach in the MFA. But – and that's interesting. They're – Mostly, I mean, they, they seem to be into it, but also, you know, as grad students, they're like, you know, not impressed by anything or anyone. So that's fine. And my undergrads generally have no idea who I am. And then there's always one or two super fans who sneak in, which is fun. <laughs> and then once they start talking about, do you know who she is, then they all go Google me. And then that's a about whole the fourth thing. week of class, then we have this whole conversation about, yeah, I've written a few books. I mean, I tell them I write books, but I don't think they get it until they see it. And yeah. then sometimes they'll, like, email me, Dr. Gay, I was just at Barnes & Noble, and did you know your book is here? And like, <laughs> yeah, all five of them are there. Thanks. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> but it's a lot of fun. I actually like it. It's, it's, it's refreshing. And also important, because I'm not there to be Roxanne Gay. I'm there to teach. And so to not have the distraction of all of that and just be able to focus on trying to help these students become the writers that they're meant to be, it, it's great. And it's probably the most relaxing time I have.
0: I w- that's the word that popped into my mind when you said that, which is <laughs> so weird when you're describing work. And I'm, I was thinking, that sounds relaxing. But the idea of being able to like focus on the, the moment when mm-hmm. you do something that um, – can involve like a bunch of moving pieces or be very future focused, like something like writing a book, you're, you're thinking about when that's
1: published and, you know, it's like all very... There's so many other things beyond it. Like yeah. when I'm actually writing, there's the pleasure of writing sure. and putting together and figuring it out. But then there's all the other stuff outside of it. With how are How is this going to be received? Is my editor going to like it? Are my readers going to like it? Are they going to be disappointed? Are they going to be pleased? Am I going to sell enough copies? Am I going to earn out my advance? Am I going to never write again? <laughs> it's so I love you pressure.
0: saying the pleasure of writing, though, because I think i don't I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't think I hear
1: writers say that. Not enough writers say that. And that's fine. Everyone has their own experience with writing. But for me, writing is a pleasurable act. It's what I do for fun. That's like my happy time. When I actually have a few hours where I can just sit down and write, I'm very, very relaxed and happy and very happy, which I've already said. Where do you write? Wherever. I can write anywhere. I don't have a sacred writing space. I'm like really the anti-writer. Do you need to do anything else? Like does it need to be quiet? Does Mm -mm. it need to be? No. I generally like the TV on in the background. Interesting. Or music. I can write to music and or the TV. Um, I actually write to TV 80% of the time and music 20% of the time. And sometimes I write in silence, but I don't need silence. Hmm. It's not a prerequisite for getting the words down.
0: Hey, Queeros. This week's episode of Query is sponsored by Casper. With three mattress models, the original Casper, the Wave, and the Essential, Casper mattresses are perfectly designed to soothe and cradle your natural geometry. Not to mention the breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temp throughout the night. It's delivered right to your door in a small, how did they do that, size box with free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada. You also could sleep on your Casper mattress for 100 nights risk-free and then, like, send it back if you want to. But I'm just going to say, truly, I sleep on a Casper mattress. This is just true. I do. And uh, I really like it. So I... I don't know. I don't know if you're going to be sending yours back because I didn't. For $50 towards select mattresses, just visit casper.com slash query and use query at checkout. That's casper.com slash query. Offer code query for 15% off your mattress purchase. Terms and conditions apply. Wow. I mean, (laughs) I, something, so like, as a comic, um, when you move out to Los Angeles, people go like, "Well, you should also do like a bunch of other stuff that you've never done before, like write." And so I'm trying to write a book, and it's it's really hard because it's not something that um, that like sitting by myself thing uh, is so antithetical to how I got into the arts and entertainment. I that's not what I was that's not what I was coming from. I was coming from like we do it together. You're the audience. Let me tell you my thoughts and. I'll be in this moment. So, what's your book about? Oh, it's about you know. It was originally I made this like web series called Ask a Lesbian, mm-hmm. and it was a huge hit at the very beginning of BuzzFeed making videos. Yep. So it got a lot of attention here in town because like nobody was doing that yet, mm-hmm. and um, so I got a book deal from that thing. That was at this point years ago, and then the time of like been working on a couple other television shows. By the way, I just want to mention that there is a podcast next door that is doing a, like a live musical and you can totally hear them in our in our headphones. Can you hear them Mm-mm. in our headphones? Oh, I have sharp
1: ears. It's true. You do. You're very good. I mean, I hear something?
0: No, no, my ears but are But I don't
1: hear specific like song lyrics.
0: Yeah. No, it my ears are my ears are sharp. I have to write with um noise-canceling headphones on that are not listening to anything.
1: Oh, really? I just have or. Simple- I love sitting in my noise cancelling headphones without listening to anything, though. It makes me feel like in a cocoon. Sometimes I love it. Yeah, on a plane, I don't, I'm not listening to anything. Often. Yes, that's I'm just, me. I <laughs> just have the headphones on so that you don't talk to I'm me. I'm making
2: a, yes. I'm making a It's private like raid space. for people. No, it's, in
1: public. It's, it's great. Yes. I, I absolutely
0: feel the same mm-hmm. way.
1: It's a great I try to isolation be, chamber.
0: try to be friendly as we take our seats and then I pop them things right on and then I do not take yes. those things off.
1: I put them on immediately after yeah. I sit so that my seatmate knows. There will not be a conversation on this flight. Right. (laughs) Not with me, my friend. Nope. (laughs) It's the best part of my day when I get on a plane.
0: I hear that. Oh, man, there was something I wanted to ask you about uh, teaching that I – oh, this is what it was. Um, You know, going back to what you were talking about, about like that uh, affirmative action thing. Mm Mm-hmm. I think about you being a teacher, Mm -hmm. you being in somebody's life as a teacher as a very positive thing. I do Because you have so many – I mean, number one, obviously your talent (laughs) and stuff like that. But I mean like – well, I have a buddy that teaches this freshman seminar that folks take at CalArts. Every freshman has Mm -hmm. to take it. And this person is queer. Mm -hmm. And so they're – it's like a – An overall look at the world of art, like that, what a freshman would take, you know, like, welcome to art. Mm -hmm. But this person is queer. So the way that they program it includes – it's almost like we exist. It's almost like queer people exist. Oh, (laughs) wow. Stop. (laughs) And I think about how, like, they're changing the entire culture of that school Mm -hmm. just by – Being the person that they are in that position.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Especially at Purdue because it turns out I know a little bit about the state of Indiana (laughs) and what's going on there. Like I think about you being there and having a chance to educate people and that that being an extremely positive part of those writers' lives who otherwise would maybe be surrounded by a lot of white folks.
1: Yes, they are. Um, Purdue (sighs) – I do not like Indiana and I'm open about that. I love what I do and Purdue is fine. Um, I love my students. They're fantastic. But it is challenging to be the only black woman teaching in the creative writing program. And it's a small program. So logistically, like there is the chances of there being multiple black people in this program at as, as, as the teaching level are somewhere between slim and none. Uh, We do have some diversity. My colleague, who's the program director, is Brian Leung, and he's wonderful, and he's biracial and and, a gay man. And so we actually have great queer representation. And then we just um, brought on board um, Kava Akbar and Therese Mayo. So we actually have more faculty of color than white faculty starting next year. That's great. Which is great and different and exciting because all of our students are going to get these different perspectives. And just like that queer professor at CalArts who's going to shape this course that every student takes, like we all shape these standard ideas in teaching in very unique ways. And so for my students, and one of the only reasons I'm still teaching is because so many of these students have never had a black professor before. And I think it's so important for students to realize that anybody can teach them something and that people of color and black people in particular have valuable things to offer pedagogically. So it's important to bring diverse perspectives and I know that who I am shapes the kinds of short fiction or long fiction or nonfiction that I put in front of my students and the way I teach and the kinds of things I teach. And that's important. And that's why diversity is important. It's not about quotas or anything like that. It's just about that people from different walks of life are going to teach differently. And students are going to get different things from that, whether someone is working class or uh, an immigrant or... Um, a white man. I mean, everybody has something different and they are going to have a specific aesthetic that is going to shape how they teach the class, and that's important. So it's great, but.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I'm well, done. <laughs> I hear, I mean, I hear that, and I, you know, you also don't have to, you don't have to take on the burden of, of, no. <laughs> of being
1: the person. I do uh, not. There are plenty of wonderful people out there doing the work. I just, you know, when I look at Purdue in particular, I do hope that. When I leave, that they hire another black woman, uh, and ideally a black queer woman. I if think if you it's say just that into good. a
0: microphone, it just has to happen. It has. To. It's like on it record. To. So it has to. You've put and then, it. You
1: know, maybe uh, if someone at USC wants to hire me, <laughs> that'd be cool.
0: I'm fine with that. Right. <laughs> well, especially writing. You know, I think about everything that you just said, and then I think about writing, and I think about somebody who's arrived at college, having gone through the American high school system, which. Um, over-represents white men as authors and so there's a chance that that person is arriving at your door Mm -hmm. you know um, or arriving in that department as an undergrad or then even as a graduate student without like a full understanding of who has contributed to this field in the past.
1: Absolutely. They think they know the literary canon but they only know a a very narrow slice of the canon and um, that's the canon that has been historically prioritized. And, I, you know, unlike some people, I do think the canon matters and that there are things to learn from it. But it's not the only thing we should be teaching our students. And we also have to interrogate why the canon is predominantly white men, because they were the only ones who were allowed access to education and who were encouraged to share their stories. And so, you know, it's it's not a thing that is neutral, and that's the most important thing to recognize when talking about that. And I just try to disrupt the canon whenever I can.
0: Yeah, I mean, like that—that that to me is—I feel like—and you just said this, but I, I do feel like that's the ultimate point. It's like, we still live in this world where, when people talk about diversity, it's like it's a—it's um, a charitable act yes. as opposed to something that, like, generally improves everyone's opportunity to then go out into the world and uh-huh. and succeed, like people treat it
1: like painful medicine that has Don't to be taken. painful medicine <laughs> and it's actually it's it's a corrective and right. it it it's a, it's a healing of historical wrongs and more than that it's exciting just to see something different i was
0: just going to yeah cuz like i always think about you know i used to open for this like super um not what you would think of as a Cameron Esposito-aligned comedian. And I would go out and and warm up the audience for him for like half an hour Mm -hmm. before he came out and did an hour. And the number of audiences that like first of all they would like shout me down or like heckle we had to like come up with this whole system where he had to like introduce me through a god mic so that they all heard his voice and then I had I would have to like say something we did in our day because otherwise people were like who is this interloper that has been placed between us (laughs) and who we came to see by (laughs) like uh comedy like speed bump you know like whatever implementation like it was totally bizarre um, But I also like there was a reason that comic chose me because we were not the same at all in style uh-huh. and we were not the same at all in like viewpoint. we were not the same. We didn't weren't the same demographic. So he would look better and more interesting because when I was doing like my half hour at the top, I was never going to step on his shit. Uh-huh. I was never going to like I was never going to hit a point that he was going to make in the same way. And um, like, yeah, then people also had an opportunity to like me if they liked me. But it just also it kind of like. Improves it also makes it also makes white men more interesting, like diversity actually makes white men more interesting
1: because it starts to show why they're unique. Because when you put all of them up against each other, often if they especially if they all come from like the same class background, right? Life circumstance, then you're gonna kind of hear the same jokes about, haha, you know, my wife, haha, right? Oh, fucking made me marry her.
0: Well, I mean, you know, like... (laughs) Like, we get it. You guys
1: all hate being married, but you are married. And, oh, your kid did some weird, gross thing and ate poop from his diaper. Ha ha. Sorry, but there's a lot of comedy in that vein. Uh,
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Eating poop from diapers.
1: I've heard these jokes. Uh, Delicious. Delicious. It's what's for dinner. (laughs) It is. It is what's for dinner. Right alongside pork. (laughs) Well, or in, like, politics. You know, when there's
0: 72... of uh, the same person mm-hmm. with like even the same suit on. AKA it, the it,
1: Republican primary. Yes. That's what, you know what I'm thinking I do. of is that Absolutely. line where you're like,
0: I guess that guy's three inches taller. Mm-hmm. I guess that's like the major difference. And that's Ben Carson. Like, exactly. Those I was are gonna say <laughs> save for that
1: one minute <laughs> <Yeah. new dot. laughs> yeah.
0: But um you know I think it like then it becomes extremely difficult to have anything you say matter.
1: Absolutely, because and, it's the same thing over and over. And that's why so much of the primary season was so horrifying because it was just so much sameness. Like, oh, uh, we get it. You're a white guy. You want to lower taxes and you want to go to war. We got it. Next. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh. Oh,
0: it's actually, I agree. Yeah. I just agree. That's my full statement. I
1: agree with the, the good governor from <laughs> Ohio. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You also write uh, for the New York Times Mm, sometimes. I guess. And I want to – I'm curious about – I don't know what it's like doing work right now for you because it's different for me doing work (laughs) right now versus like a couple years ago, turns out. yes.
1: How has that (sighs) shift been felt from your perspective? The shift has been difficult because – I was really in my groove before the election, and I was really excited about everything I was going to write with a woman president. Like, I had a plan, and it was going to be glorious. And now, I've spent the past year and a half really recognizing how deep the problems and the fractures in this country are, and... I'm still writing the kinds of things I want to write, but I'm also feeling obligated to write about this cultural moment and thinking about how we begin to heal these fractures and if healing is even possible, which I'm not sure that it is. And so it's different, and and everything feels more urgent, and there are things that I want to write that I just think feel way too frivolous, like, no, we can't possibly spend time on that right now because... um, Things are so grim.
0: What, what are some of those, like, generalized things that you wouldn't want
1: to write about? Yeah, you know, I want to just – I'm tired. I would just like to write about television and movies mm-hmm. and and just do the kinds of cultural criticism that I love doing. I, I want to write about HGTV. I do have a book where I'm going to be doing all this, but, um, you know, I just, like, want to recap a few TV shows and just, just – <laughs> I
0: mean, like, I want to have a I mean, an H- HGTV is so specific uh, it, within the realm of television yeah, about, like, where your uh, consumption wants
1: to be. Absolutely. I, I, I want a house. Yeah. I want to decorate it. Oh, my and, God. I love
0: you know, watching that on the road. It's just like a great... babies or
1: something. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not, not going to have kids. But I do, like—I just want to nest and build a home with someone and and— like, just be happy and enjoy the fruits of my labor. But there's this sort of good part of me that's like, nope, the fight must go on. I mean, I know that these things can coexist, and I'm working on that. But there's so much of me that just feels like, uh-uh, we got to be on the front lines. There's so much work to do. There is no sitting around having it, fun.
0: It does not always feel like those things can coexist. I, no, it does
1: I do not
0: feel um, – I mean, I think about something like like the shift in Twitter – between like uh there's almost there's like so many things going on one is as an information source for like atrocities Mm -hmm. i mean that's that thing and then the other one is obviously as like a state media and then you know and then as something that i'm using to like see if folks want to come to my show and then on then there's like the fourth thing which is Writing something silly and interesting about gender. You know what I yes. mean? Like, <laughs> or not even gender, like pasta.
1: Like, <laughs> so it's so That's it's my favorite Twitter. <laughs> like, la- yesterday I tweeted about Pokemon Go, which is my like preferred way to relax with Absolutely. my phone. And I just really, I miss the days where we could just do all that. I mean, we were also doing other things and thinking about the greater good, but it was easier to just let your hair down, such as it is, and relax. And just be frivolous more, and that it doesn't seem like we can afford frivolity right now is is frustrating. And of course, it's such a privilege to like be sitting here saying, "Oh, I don't feel like I can be frivolous on Twitter." Wow, that's not really where I'm going. I mean, that's kind of but what I mean. But that's an external
0: it's just representation hard. of an internal mm-hmm. uh, feeling.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Like everything feels so grim. Like. I don't know what I was reading today on Twitter. And I just thought, man, racism has got me exhausted today. It was a story about something involving someone, and it just was so horrible. And
0: That does sound like 2018, something involving someone was racist. Yeah, <laughs> that
1: sounds, that's like, it. I, that sounds I, that's like, like 2018. Oh, I know what yeah. it was. It was this little video of a guy who looks like ZZ Top who was telling these kids—and actually it was a bunch of white kids— Um, to lower their – to quiet down about their protest uh, because – and that he had called in the police to make a noise complaint. And then they just – when he got a little aggressive, they kind of beat him up. It was really great to watch. I mean, the video is quite cathartic. But I was just watching it and just thinking, oh, man, oppression. (laughs) It's just such a pain in the ass. Like, this guy, he was talking about noise, but really he was just irritated that they were – protesting. And I don't even know what they were protesting for. I think they were protesting against guns. Um, and it's just everything. I don't know. It's just a lot. What are you doing self-care-wise to make sure that you
0: uh, can continue to like stay healthy amidst uh, the
1: schedule that you're talking about? I'm old, so I'm still figuring out self-care. I'm 43. My generation did not. That was not a thing. And so... I'm working on it because I do think self-care is important. And I do think that we need to take care of ourselves and find time for relaxation and fun and joy. Uh, I think you can do these things and recognize that there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. And that I think it's important to do these things so that you can do the work that needs to be done. And so I'm trying to figure out what self-care looks like. And I think it's going to involve more... Not travel time and saying no more, and also just allowing myself to do things I enjoy. So, more facials and uh, the spa kind, to be clear. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah. (laughs) The freak. Um, And just, you know, sitting down and reading for pleasure, just for pure pleasure, not to blurb, not to review, just for fun. What um, What is your genre? Do you have a genre you love? I read everything. I'm very – well, I read fiction mostly, I should say. I am very sparing in my nonfiction reading because I find a lot of nonfiction to be dry and not interesting. But I like essay collections. I like oh, memoir. Yeah. So, yeah, I read a little bit of everything. I'm very omnivorous in my reading.
0: I, I love to – I love reading gay shit. That's my favorite. Uh, really? <laughs> That's my what genre? kind of gay shit? Well, like, so, okay, I mean, this is really the level. Um like if I if I see something I really love and there is source material available, I'll try to also like check that out. So like when I saw the movie Carol, which I really enjoyed watching. Ah,
1: Patricia Highsmith.
0: I then read the, the book. Of salt. And yeah. then I also listened to the audiobook because I Oh, you did a deep dive. What I'm saying is so like I just listened to the Call Me by Your Name audiobook mm-hmm. and I also am rereading Dykes to Watch Out for which right now, which is have you ever read Dykes to Watch Out For? Not yet. Oh my god, right? Is it good? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yay! It's like a so it's a it's like a graphic novel. It's a collection of yeah, Alice and Becca. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's I think it's really amazing because what it what it has been giving me a little bit of help with is like I think when I read it maybe the first or second time I I was living in uh, maybe right pre Obama or I can't remember when this when that collection was published or like early Obama haze of just like reading this book and being like, I don't understand. Cause it's, it's very political. Like mm-hmm. everybody, and it's super, it's also super intersectional. Like for when it was, it's like from the eighties and there are like characters that use wheelchairs and there are people that of color. Is and there are folks forward. with, there are folks with, um, dikey-looking haircuts, like many. Well, it was the 80s. Yes, but I just
1: mean like... That's what our haircuts were at <laughs> their finest. I just Thank was, you very much. I just much. am reading it. I'm
0: like jazzed because I can't... Also, a lot of characters have... I don't even think I picked up on it the first time I was reading. They have like um, armpit hair drawn in. Not everybody. Really? Some people. So
1: You don't see that a lot in, in visual culture. No, That's you don't. That's wonderful. So it's like
0: kind of amazing because it's also not... It's not like everybody has armpit hair, but it's like... Some, Some people, people do. do, and so it's uh, it's like really rocking my world. Um, Especially
1: here, where you don't see a lot of armpit hair.
0: Oh, in Los Angeles, yeah, you need to go east. On Men or women. You need to go east. That's the answer. Okay. When you when you come to Los Angeles, if you're not seeing armpit hair, you need to move further east. Okay. Because uh, the east side of the city is where all the armpit is. Oh, all okay. All the armpit hair is. All it's, right. So that's east where, armpit that's, hair. That's where West? all... Yes. Hmm. No, no No hair at all. None. Yeah. No body hair None. at all. It's just
1: amazing. <laughs> I'm just like, like, wow, the city's yeah. aestheticians must be <laughs> overbooked. <laughs> right. Because I have seen, especially... I'm from the Midwest. i born and raised. And so whenever I see the men here... In general. I mean, uh, so you know what I mean, the certain type of man who like wears very tight jeans and is not interested in reproduction. um, (laughs) They're hairless. It's yeah, they're hairless everywhere. and, And they're always like running around without shirts. And so you can just see like, it's all gone, which I like I like a smooth man. I actually also like a smooth man. Because I'm like, the, closest to, the closer to a woman I can get you, the better. Yes. So well, like no, visually, I really have yeah. like a... Like a, like. I want to see all the contours Like a muscular chest mm-hmm. smooth guy. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because yeah, my... my
1: standards for men, they have to be impeccable. Like, <laughs> like for women, whatever. I'll we are whatever.
0: on the same page. Oh, no, yeah. We really have the same I taste. I am <laughs> a
1: United Nations for women. Yeah. Come to me. I will mm, <laughs> do all kinds of things to you or for you. But with men, like, no, you're going to have to be top 0.5 sure. percent <laughs> you're gonna to have to be like literally the most beautiful man in the world That's and amazing. you're gonna to need to be rich yeah
0: sure i mean yeah. well you can find that person here in los angeles it mm-hmm. turns out they're here they're well, yeah
1: they exist but <laughs> they are here. those people here don't date people like yeah, me they, which is fine
0: sure yes i mean i'm unsure who who those people do date um,
1: I, I i don't know in fact when i was at Minneapolis Airport last night because I missed my connection because my original flight was delayed. It was a whole thing. Uh, I was listening to an older white man uh who was also flying to LA talking about breaking up with his girlfriend. And he was like, I will spend the next 20 years alone uh, because I'm not going to have anyone dictate to me how I should feel and how I should do this and how I should do that. And I was like, bro, have you never been in a functional relationship? Whoa. He was just so vehement. And I was like, you know what? 90-year-old, it's – good. You need to ride out the rest of this journey on your own and just have a good circle of friends.
0: Well, to prepare you for your job at USC, yes. let me – allow me to tell you that the folks that you're looking for that don't – that have maybe been in a functional <laughs> relationship all live in my neighborhood. So just oh, come, come on over. Um, I live in Los Feliz, but like – Oh, I like Los Feliz. Yeah. Yes. Perfect. Awesome. But like – um any, anywhere on the east side, I find that it's like – it's a Los Angeles I didn't know existed as a Midwesterner know, myself.
1: Because I live downtown. Yeah. And I've been looking everywhere for a house. And I kind of am partial to the west side because everyone I know lives closer to the west side. But everyone I like lives on the east side. Yeah. It's a dilemma. It is
0: a dilemma. I'm so not a dilemma off. Yet. Off air. I will ha- I'm so curious as to who who lives on the west I don't even know who lives on the west side. I feel like I live on the I just live amongst the desert people and it makes me feel kind of comfy. Oh,
1: that's nice. I do enjoy a good desert.
0: Well, uh Roxanne, it was so nice to have you. That this is I feel like we covered a lot of things. We did. And I just want to ask you one final question before yep. I head you head before I head you out. That's not No one's ever said that phrase because it's not how you say it. <laughs> Before I uh, send you out into the rest of your day is uh, for you to shout out a queero, which is like a person or a place or a thing that made you feel comfy.
1: Yes. Today, my queero is Dr. Lori Jones. She's a trauma surgeon from St. Louis. Who is going around teaching communities how to stop bleeding in crisis and trauma situations. Whoa. Yes. And she is an amazing out black gay woman. How did you find out about this person? I was in St. Louis for an event for Planned Parenthood and I was in my hotel the night before the event watching the local news as I tend to do because I always just like to see like how tragic the local newscast is. And they did a, it was actually a very nice newscast and they did a feature on her and I was just so surprised to see A black queer woman, and I didn't know she was queer, but she gave me the vibe, Um, just being featured and for her work. And she just is incredible. And I tweeted about it and then a bunch of people were like oh yeah she's amazing she's amazing and then at the fundraiser the next day she happened to be in the audience and so she came up to me and we met each other we took a nice little photo and I just, just it's just incredible like she's actually doing really valuable work out in the world that's awesome it is I'm so glad that
0: you had that name and that you could tell us about I did, too. I'm just – for once,
1: I finally came up with something because I'm always asked, like, you know, like, what are you reading or what do you love and blah, blah, blah. And I just – said, my superpower is to not be able to answer that question on the spot.
0: Oh, yeah. No, it's the worst. So (laughs) I'm never going to ask you that question. Not once. (laughs) I don't care what you're reading. Uh, Roxanne, thank you so much. Thank you, Cameron. This week's episode of Query is sponsored by Everly Well. Finding time to get a lab test can be almost impossible, but not with everlywell.com. Everly Well is an at-home health testing company that offers a variety of physician-reviewed private tests from food sensitivity to metabolism to STD tests. You can take them in your home. Go to everlywell.com, use the promo code QUERY to take 15% off your first order. Everly Well, your test on your time and your terms.
2: Hello, hello, this is Nagin Farsad. I'm a comedian, a writer, a honey mustard enthusiast. I also host a podcast on Earwolf called Fake the Nation. So here's the deal. Every Thursday, I invite two of my favorite politically savvy comedian pals and policy buffs, and we kvetch about news and politics. And I'm talking about people like W. Kamau Bell, Robin Thede, Brian Safi, Asif Manvi, John Lovett. Guys, the list goes on. What I'm saying is we get very funny, fancy people. And together we chat about things like the Russia investigation, Syria, the EPA, you know, just some of the light stuff. But we also do the light stuff. And we do it in three tasty little segments that are rung in with this cool bell. Yeah, that's the bell. So, you guys, check out Fake the Nation on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. There's new episodes every Thursday evening.